Welcome. You are listening to Mountain View Scattered. This is an audio companion to our weekly church gatherings. It is a way to stay connected while you are away and to learn more about our community, how we can best reach and serve it. I'm your host, Wade. I've told this so many times before, but growing up um, at the age of three, uh, my mother went back to work and they, my parents didn't want to pay for childcare. And so I went to my dad's gearbox shop every day until really I got out of high school. Okay. Um, but I started every day there and uh, my dad, along with my dog, raised me. And um, I was so blessed to go to work with him. I remember uh, sweeping and cleaning and mopping around the ages of four and five. My dad got me my own little razor blade to open up boxes that the delivery, that, that the courier would bring. And um, I thought all that time that I was really helping my father, uh, only to realize that he could probably do everything about three times as fast without me. And yet, this is what it's like to be working alongside our Father God, isn't it? <laughs> we see here in Jonah that that's exactly what's happening. Um, we see that Jonah has been called to go and do something, and yet Jonah just sits around and kind of takes his own time doing his own thing while God moves all of creation in a direction so that Jonah will do the task that God has given him. And so, as much as I don't like Kian messing with the microphone, it's a blessing to have him up here on a Sunday with me, and I think that he thinks that he's helping as well. We are in Jonah, lost at sea. Here in the book of Jonah, we see many people that are lost. We see everyone that needs to be found by God that needs to be brought to a place of repentance and saved from themselves. And so, as we've been going through the book of Jonah, we've had a couple of focuses. We've said there are three ways that we want to be changed by reading and studying this book together. The first of which is that we should be turned from spiritual pride. This is one of the diseases that has infected Jonah. You'll see that he's constantly calling Yahweh his God and no one else's. He treats God as though he's trapped in the temple back in Jerusalem. He treats God like he's some tribal deity. That first song that we sang this morning comes from an old Irish tune. Honestly, it was probably a pagan song that got turned into a Christian song with Christian words. And here's one of the things I love about it. Those are my ancestors, right? And those ancestors had all their little tribal heroes and gods. And this is the exact same way that Jonah is treating Yahweh. Not as the one whom salvation belongs to. No, he's treating him as his little fireplace God, the guy that he puts up on the mantle, he gets to pray to and delivers him everything that he wants. We should be turned from that spiritual pride and that ownership of God. And with that said, we should seek 
to show compassion to others who do not yet know that God. We saw three weeks ago now, there was a prime opportunity for Jonah to express his faith to the sailors. But despite Jonah and his hard-heartedness, the sailors were saved. Not because of him. And lastly, we should be wanting to know more about the God who bends all of creation for your salvation. And our big idea, which we're going to hit on hard today, salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is yours in Jesus. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it is yours in Jesus. Now, I've been working hard, I feel like I should, I've been working hard as a pastor to try to be proud of this sermon series that I'm preaching, and yet I've heard many better sermons preached on Jonah. In fact, one of the best sermons that I've ever heard preached on Jonah comes from this book, Moby Dick. Now, if you've never read it, you're probably a sane person. It's a really long book with lots of words. Herman Melville, the author, took his time getting to the point, all right? But there's a pastor, there's a preacher in that book called Father Maple. Father Maple. And Father Maple is a fiery preacher. A fiery preacher who actually preaches Christ. In fact, if I think about the other preachers who were around during the time of Father Maple, I would say he probably did a better job preaching the gospel than many of the real preachers of his day. It's a fictional story. (laughs) But here is one of the things that Father Maple says about the passage in Jonah that we're touching on today. And he's a sailor too. And so he says to everyone sitting with him, he's at this church at a port, and he says, Shipmates, I do not place Jonah before you to be copied for his sin, but I do place him before you as a model for repentance. Sin not, but when you do, Take heed and repent like Jonah. And it's true. We should repent like Jonah. We need to repent like Jonah. And i got to say that up front. Because like I've said before, I'm going to be hard on Jonah here. And I'm going to be doing something that we probably shouldn't do to ourselves too much and definitely not to other people. We're going to be examining his repentance today. Is it real? Is it good enough? Well, let's find out. First thing that I want to say, though, is what is repentance? Now, we've heard this before. We go over it all the time. Simply said, repentance is to turn around. It's to turn away from something and go towards something else. In the case of what we read in Scripture, to repent is to turn away from ourselves and our sin and to turn to Christ. To take our faith out of ourselves. To take our security out of ourselves and to place all of our fear, all of our love, and all of our trust on the person and work of Jesus, what he did for you and for me in his life and in his death on the cross, and the promise that we have in him of the resurrection. 
And our statement of faith as a church, our confession of faith, it reads like this. We believe that repentance and faith are sacred responsibilities. They are good and holy responsibilities and also gifts that cannot be separated from one another. They are wrought in our souls. They are worked in our souls by the regenerating, the making new power of God the Holy Spirit. Being deeply convinced of our guilt, our danger, our helplessness, and of the way of salvation by Christ, we turn to God with genuine contrition, confession, and crying out for mercy. And at the same time, we wholeheartedly receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our prophet, priest, and king, relying on Him alone as the only and all-sufficient Savior. So as a church, this is what we teach and this is what we confess together as repentance. As we dig into Jonah chapter 2, which we already read this morning, and I'll be, I'll be touching on again as we go, as we start off just to say that Jonah here is going to switch from being a narrative or a story to being poetry or a song. And this song is quite a beautiful song. And as Father Maple taught us, it is a song that should be repeated as we read this morning because it's a good picture and model of repentance for us. This song, this poem this morning also is drenched with the language of the Psalms. If we just wanted to go through and quote uh, things that we see here, there's about 10 different Psalms that are used in the building of this one song. This Jonah here seemed to know his songs well. He seemed to know his Psalms well. And also we see the language of Jeremiah both from the book of Jeremiah but then from the book of Lamentations as well. So let's start out here. I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and nights. So just remember now, where did this fish come from? (laughs) It came from God. This was a fish that God sent to scoop up Jonah. All right? This is a fish that God sent to scoop up Jonah. And now we want to find out where did Jonah go when this fish scooped him up. Now if you remember, Jonah was thrown into the ocean by these sailors so that they could be saved. So that the sea would calm. And what first looked like a selfless act of Jonah sacrificing himself for these pagan sailors really turns out to be Jonah refusing to give them the good news, them hearing it anyway on their own when they see that the sea is calmed and they say to themselves, wow, the God of the Hebrews is a strong one. And they repent of their sins and they turn to Him for salvation. Whereas Jonah falls into the water and says, take me, Lord, I'm ready. 
He doesn't say, I'm sorry for disobeying you. He doesn't say, I'm sorry I didn't preach to the sailors. He says, I might as well just die, God, because I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. And then it seems like after three days in the belly of this fish, the sea monster, Jonah says this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. What is Sheol here? Where did, where did Jonah go? Well, Sheol is the Old Testament picture for hell. And what do we mean by hell? We mean separation from God's love and his good gifts for you. And here's Jonah thinking that he would just simply die and be with the Lord, but instead, at the moment when he thinks he's going to suffocate and drown in the water, God saves him and keeps him alive. And now Jonah's thinking to himself, I've totally separated myself from God. God, you've separated me from yourself. You took me down to the belly of Sheol. And yet you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I love Jonah's language here, because who cast him into the sea? The sailors did, right? And yet Jonah sees these sailors for what they are. They are an act of God in his life. So that he would be reminded of who God is, that he might be brought to a place of repentance where he is now. He's saying, you threw me into the sea, God, by the hands of those sailors. You scooped me up out of the belly of Sheol, and you heard my cry. He says, all your waves and all your billows passed over me. Because here, Jonah knows that these things that are taking place in his life are there for a reason. Now, clearly, this is supernatural. This is God working out things in the world. God bending all of creation for Jonah's salvation right now. And yet, Jonah sees it. Do you see it? Do you see it in your life? Do you see the way that God has worked do you see the way that time after time you have been given the opportunity to repent, to turn away from relying on yourself and resting in your own works and your own goodness and instead turning to Christ and resting in His work done for you and relying upon everything that He did for you? Jonah sees it. Whether it be a crazy street preacher yelling that the end is nigh, like Jonah's going to do when he gets to Nineveh, maybe that's been your experience. <laughs> maybe that's when you've been reminded to repent. Or maybe it's when you've seen that you've hurt someone and you've decided to turn away from your sin. God has worked those circumstances for your repentance and your faith to save you from yourself. And Jonah sees that here. Verse 4, then he said, I am driven away from your sight. 
And yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. When Jews were outside of Jerusalem, um, wherever it was that they worshipped, at this point there were two kingdoms of Israel, um, they would look towards the temple and they would pray, whether they were near it or not. And this is what Jonah is saying. When I figure out which direction I'm going in, I'm going to turn towards that temple and I'm going to pray to you. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds wrapped around my head. Here, I mean, we have this picture of, it's almost like dirt coming down on a man's grave, right? It's almost like a man being wrapped in a shroud going down to his death. Actually, from the beginning of Jonah, we've seen, this, we've seen these words repeated, going down, going down, right? God said, uh, God said, go this way, and Jonah said, no, I'm going down to Tarshish, Tarshish, right? And then he went down into the belly of the boat, and then he got thrown down into the depths of the sea, and now he's going down even further. We're seeing the descent of Jonah to the depths, to the depths of, of, of mourning over his sin and knowing what awaits him. I went down to the land, the very bottom of the ocean, whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He realizes what this fish is. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And now this is beautiful. This is beautiful. And yet we need to go back over some of these words. Why? Because, verse 7 here, yes, does Jonah expect that God would be waiting in his temple? Sure. Is it, a, is it a legitimate thing to be thinking? Yes. And yet, once again, Jonah seems to think that God is in one place. He seems to think that he's in one place. And on top of that, he says, it's like a little dig here. Okay, He's digging into those sailors a little bit here. And he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Remember at the beginning when the sailors were crying out each to their own God, save us, save us. And Jonah's looking back at them. Oh, these idol worshipers. They don't get it. I get it, God. I get it. I'm one of your chosen people. You've delivered me. They don't get it. I do. Salvation belongs to you to give to me, not to them. <laughs> In this prayer, it's almost like Jonah is, is, he is confessing. He's saying, Lord, look. Uh, verse 4, he's, he's saying, then I said, I was tricked, and you were the one that tricked me, God. See, I thought that this was the way that you worked, that you saved your people, Israel. But you decided to go off and work in whatever way you please. And I see that salvation belongs to you. 
Jonah here in verse 9 says that he's going to give thanks and offer thanksgiving because he realizes that nothing that saved him came from him. So this is good. Right? It's good repentance. It's good repentance, and yet it's tainted still. You see that? At the end of the day, back in verse 1, I think that we can... We can safely say that the Lord is the only one that Jonah knows he can run to and hold on to as an anchor. He's the only safety in those occasions when we realize that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, if you're like me, you're tempted to read into this word vomited here, okay, which is gross, and to say, ah, yes, Jonah, you are neither cold nor hot, but you are lukewarm, and I will spit you out of my mouth. You could read that into it. You could read that into it. Is this such a violent word that he spewed out Jonah because God is upset with him? No. In fact, this vomiting out of Jonah back onto the dry land is God's gift to Jonah. It's a second chance, as it were. So let's judge Jonah's repentance for a minute. And let's judge your repentance and mine. Did Jonah repent well enough? Yes. What if Jonah had said, Oh God, those sailors don't know you and those Ninevites, they're never going to believe. And yet I believe, God. Thank you for saving me. Forgive me. Would that have been good enough? Yes, that would have been good enough. Because we have a gracious Lord. Me, there are times when I go to the Lord and I'm there to repent. And yet I'm thinking about the next thing that I'm going to do. My head's somewhere else. Ah, oh God, I shouldn't have spoke to my kids that way. Forgive me for that. Now i got to go set them straight. Right? Do you do this? You do do this. Christian, your repentance is incomplete and insufficient. But you know what? Christ is sufficient and his sacrifice covers over all of your sin even sinful repentance repentance that isn't complete and whole and perfect it's never going to be it's never going to be it reminds me what paul says who shall rescue me from this body of death? Right? Because in that passage in Romans, Paul is saying, look, I know that I'm completely saint. I know that I'm completely saved by you, God. And yet it seems as though everything I do, I'm completely sinner at the same time. He doesn't say, man, I'm half saint and I'm half sinner. He doesn't say I'm about three quarters good and I'm about a quarter bad. He says I'm completely saved and I'm completely a sinner. And Christian, that is always going to be true for you and for me. 
until the day that Christ takes us home. And your repentance is brought into fullness when you see with your eyes your Savior standing before you. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 35, we read this. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. God who makes people right. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, who is stepping in for each and every one of us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I'm going to add something in here. Or our own sin or being thrown into an ocean or a fish scooping us up? Separate us from the love of Christ? No, it will not. God works all of creation. He bends it all for your salvation. We see God's salvation here coming to Jonah through judgment. Him being on the verge of death is like a little picture of his judgment. His feeling the weight of his sin and being drugged down into the depths of separation from God and his good gifts is a picture of judgment that brings Jonah to the place of repentance. And maybe you've been there and maybe you're there right now. Maybe there's something in your life that has you so far down in the depths that you feel like you're drowning and that the seaweed is wrapped around your face and the dirt is going over top of you. It's a sin that you can't get away from. Who will rescue you from this body of death? Jesus does. In Jonah's case, God does here through a fish, through this harsh picture of judgment upon his life. God brings him back to a place of repentance and faith, to a place of salvation. It's when we can echo also from Romans chapter 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, and for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, Romans chapter 8 there is filled with verses that we hear all the time, that we see on WhatsApp and Facebook all the time, and yet when we put them into the context of Romans, and when we understand them in the context of all of Scripture, we realize that these verses are speaking hard truths to us. <laughs> that there may be a time when you are in the depths of hell in your life, and yet if you are breathing and alive and 
are hearing the word of Christ preached to you, this is what God is using to bring you to a place of repentance, of turning away from yourself and turning toward Him. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. <laughs> all right, two beautiful things that we've seen this morning. First of all, this confession of faith that we have from Jonah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And what we could say now is that it is also yours in Christ. This is a beautiful confession of faith. That's why we did it this morning. That's why we're going to do it again later. That's why I want you to remember that big idea. But also this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. What? A second time. How beautiful is that, Christian? How beautiful is that? You were in the depths of hell. We were there. We had failed hard. <laughs> we had turned away from God and His Word. God saves us and gives us His Word again. He sends Jonah back out. For you, this is again the reminder that God doesn't want you to stay in those depths of despair. He has rescued you from those depths of despair. And for Jonah right now, he's reminding him of that by giving him a good word to go and share with those pagan sinners in Nineveh. He says, Jonah, I'm not giving up on you. I'm saving you again, and you're going to take my word and save others with it. I love it because the law says, God's law, which is good, says do this, and yet it's never done. Jonah disobeyed God's law, right? He went the other direction. He refused to preach, and it never got done. And yet grace says, believe this, and it's already done for you. And that is where Jonah is. God is telling him, believe this, and the work's already done. It's already done for you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh, Nineveh was an extremely great city, three days' journey in breadth. So it's a big city. It takes three days to walk through it. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. So here we have Jonah going about halfway through. To be honest with you, I think this is a great picture of Jonah's half-heartedness. <laughs> right? All he has to do is make it to the center of the city and preach. And he's like, eh, I'll go a day. I'll give it a day and then I'll preach to see what happens. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Good. My job's done. Now, I find this to be interesting, don't you? That Jonah had 40 days to preach the good news. Actually, 
Let's be honest here. It's about a five-second sermon, and it's bad news that everyone hears as good news. Can you believe that? (laughs) Okay, so understand, he's going there to preach destruction, and everyone says, what? We've got to turn away from our sin. That's a totally backward way of thinking about everything. Have you seen that street preacher sometime, right? Who's standing out on the corner with a sign saying your judgment is coming. Hell awaits you. Right? God hates you. Does that work? It did here. It did here. I'm not saying do it, okay? I'm just saying it did here. Despite all of Jonah's half-heartedness, not even making it into the city, preaching and then walking out, and waiting 40 days on a hillside to see when, how God was going to destroy all these pagan sinners. But here's what happens. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They heard that bad news as good news. They believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What they heard was that salvation belongs to the Lord. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, I love it here because the... It's actually using that word turn. It's using that word repented, right? That he might turn from his fierce anger. Let us turn so that God will turn. And then when God saw how they turned, how they repented from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do them. And he did not do it. Now Jonah doesn't know this yet. He's still waiting out the 40 days. He wants to see how God's going to destroy these evil people. Because there's no way that God would save someone that has so much blood on their hands. There's no way that God would save so many people that are so far down into the depths of hell already that he would reach down and grab them and yank them up out of it. Even though... That is exactly what God just did for Jonah. He reached down into what Jonah saw as the depths of hell and he grabbed him up and he threw him onto the beach and he said, go do what I told you to do. Not only that, but here is my good news that I'm sending with you. Preach it. When Jesus said, repent and believe, 
He meant that our whole lives as believers should be lives of repentance. Each and every day, God gives each of us the opportunity to turn away from ourselves and to turn to Him. If you know Christ as your Savior, every Sunday morning He does it, whether you know it or not. We hear His Word and we're asked to turn away from ourselves. Turn away from our words. Turn away from the security that we find in what we do and to turn to Him. It's what He did for Jonah. It's what He did for us. And it's what He does for us each and every day. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, or you're going to leave here today and tell someone about your Savior, It's why we read the word. It's why the word is preached so that that word is on your lips each and every day. It's why we come together every Sunday morning because I don't know about you. I'm going to assume and I'm going to say about me. I need to hear each and every Sunday morning that I am forgiven. I need to hear it because each and every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I walk around and Jesus suddenly fades into the back of my mind. He fades and all week long, I'm trying to figure out how am I going to preach a sermon this week? How am I going to shepherd my children this week? How am I going to love my wife this week? And each and every time I'm trying to just eke out enough love and enough compassion to do all of those things kind of well. And maybe, just maybe, my kids will one day look back and think, yeah, he was a pretty good dad. When the reality is that that's not, I don't have to work for that. I just have to live inside the forgiveness that's been given to me. To be the best father that I can be and to extend that forgiveness to my children that I have also received in Christ. The world tells you to work. Yes, do it. Do it to the best of your ability. But your work is not who you are. You are a forgiven child of God, saved by the blood of Christ. Father God, thank you that we can come to you today, that we can hear your word read and preached and prayed and sung. Thank you that we know that you save us. Thank you for the gift of repentance repentance that you give to us each and every day. Thank you for the gift of faith that you have given to us so that we would not burn ourselves out and exhaust ourselves relying upon what we can do to save us and all of those around us so that we could rest in and rely upon your son Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection for us. God, together we say that salvation belongs to you. You give it to who you will, and it's ours in Jesus, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would give us 
hearts of compassion to go out into this world and to share that good news with others that they too might turn and be saved. Lord, I pray that you would strip from us any spiritual pride that we have. And Lord, I ask that in moments of doubt that we would be reminded that you twist and turn everything that you have made so that the word of Christ might come to our ears to give us faith that we may repent and believe. Lord, we thank you for all of that. It's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray. Amen. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and it is yours in Jesus. Thanks for listening, and remember that you were brought into the church by the saving work and person of Jesus. Also, that you are sent out to tell everyone about him. We look forward to you joining us for the next episode of Mountain View Scattered.